Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Covent Garden service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Good afternoon. Uh, It's great to be with you. And in fact, we're actually going to finish our series today. Uh, We have been in a series since the beginning of the year entitled Consuming Fire, in which we have been thinking about the kind of characteristics we want to develop as individuals and as a community uh, if we are to be people who live lives characterized by passion, faith, and the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we've looked at various different themes like vision, perseverance, longing for the Holy Spirit, uh, surrender, gratitude. And today I want to close up just with a challenge from one simple phrase uh, that Jesus uttered. I say simple, it's, it's short at least, but it's actually deeply challenging. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where he says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what I want to do this afternoon is just unpack that in two parts. Because I think there are two main themes that come through in this verse, which are the themes of holiness and mission. Which actually have been two really important themes for us that we have spoken about for pretty much the whole of the last year. Uh, And I think Jesus ties them together here. So I just want to break it down into two parts and look at each of them in turn, beginning with the theme of mission. See, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Make a priority above all other things for the kingdom of God. And when you look at Jesus' life, when you read about his life in the Gospels, I think one of the things that is really noticeable is that Jesus lived this out. He sought first the kingdom. He prioritized the kingdom. This was a man who was intentional and focused and knew what he was living for, knew what he was about, and would not let anything take him off his game. Now, you may say, well, that's not particularly remarkable. He was, after all, God, and I'm not. And you would be right in in that regard. But actually, I think that's why it's even more remarkable. Because think about it for a moment. Before Jesus took on flesh, the Bible says that he had existed for all eternity, omnipotent, omniscient, completely unconstrained by, uh, by resources or by time. And yet when Jesus took on flesh, he entered into our existence, our experience. He knew what it was like to live a life like ours. I don't know if you ever look at the Gospels and think, yeah, Jesus, your life is incredibly different from mine. In many ways it was, but in many ways not at all. Jesus knew what it was like to have pressures over his time, demands on his time and energy. He knew what it was like to be tired, to be exhausted, to be frustrated, to be drained, to have to make decisions about where he prioritized his time. And yet he also knew above any, anything else and better than anyone else how to get the best out of life, life to the full as he promised it. And what Jesus says is that essentially, if you want to live life to the full, this life of the kingdom, you need to seek first. You need to prioritize the kingdom of God. See, Jesus knew what it was like to feel pressures on his time. As Hebrews 4 puts it, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be busy, to have pressures in your life, but he also knows that if you're going to enjoy life to the full, it will come by seeking first the kingdom of God. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, the kingdom is a big theme and there are loads of elements we could look at, but essentially I would suggest that the kingdom is life under the rule and reign of God, life the way it is meant to be with God in the place of king. And there are loads of aspects to this, but I want to draw out one particular aspect, which is that I think there is a real missional aspect to the kingdom of God. And it's right there from the very beginning of the Bible. 
You see, Genesis 1 and 2 talk about the creation of everything and humanity. And essentially, you have this picture of Eden, this garden within creation, which is a perfect place. It's an ordered place. I'd say it was a picture of the kingdom of God. Everything is properly in its right place under the rule and reign of God, and there is flourishing at every level. There is no sin, sickness, suffering, pain, or death. Humankind are in relationship with their creator and with one another, and everything good flows from that. But actually, this this garden in the poetry of Genesis, it was never meant to be a static place where people just stay put and enjoy God's presence forever. Man and woman, male and female, Adam and Eve, were put there in this garden and given the task of expanding the borders of the garden throughout all creation. And actually, you look at the end of the whole book, the whole Bible, and that's what we see in the new creation. It's like this new Eden that spread throughout all creation. So from the very beginning, humanity was given the task of seeking first the kingdom, expanding the kingdom, essentially taking this good relationship with the king of kings and all the blessings that flow from that and taking it beyond the walls of Eden so that the whole world would get a chance to see and hear and experience the kingdom of God. From the very start, seeking the kingdom was a missional thing. And I think there's one really interesting word in Genesis 1, which gives me a helpful visual picture for how this is meant to work. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says that God made humanity, mankind, male and female, equal in purpose and dignity, and he made them in his image. That's the word that's used. Now, in the ancient Near East, when a king wanted to mark out the boundaries of his kingdom or demonstrate the extent of his rule, what he would do is this. He would create a statue known as an image. Here's an example of one uh, from the Assyrian king, King Shalmaneser III. And uh, I don't know whether he looked like that. It's not the most flattering image. But essentially, this represented the king. And what the king would do is this. When he conquered a new land, a new territory, he would put along the border these images. So that the idea was if you were traveling in the ancient world and you came across a border into a new land, you would see this image, you would get a sense of who was the king of this kingdom you were about to enter, and then you would know who you needed to pledge your allegiance to. The idea of an image is you look at the image, you get a glimpse of the king, and you understand, I am coming into this king's kingdom. So when Genesis says that we are made in the image of God, I think it means a number of things, but I think it means that. I think it means that you and I, as humans, were created to represent our creator. And the idea is that when we are representing our creator well, when people come across our paths, they should get a glimpse in us of the king under whose kingdom we live. The idea should be that as people encounter us as image bearers of the king of kings, they should get a sense that we live by a different kingdom, a different set of values. And it should raise a kind of intriguing sort of prospect or notion in people. They think there's something different about this king, this kingdom that they live in. I want to know more. To seek the kingdom, I think, means to live like one of these. To live in such a way as to provoke questions about the king the creator, so that when people encounter us, they get a way of encountering the king of kings, the creator himself. I think to seek first the kingdom is perhaps first and foremost a missional thing. We are here, we were created with a purpose, which is to represent the king so that everyone gets a chance to catch a glimpse of him through us and has a chance to come into the fullness of life that is available through relationship with him. And this, I think, is how Jesus lived. He lived a life seeking first the kingdom of God, 
Look through the Gospels and the kingdom just comes through everything about his life. It was the focus of his teaching. He regularly told sermons and stories all about the kingdom, calling people to respond to this life that was available by bowing the knee to the king of kings. The kingdom is demonstrated not only through the words he said, but his actions, his miracles in particular. Jesus regularly healed people and said, the kingdom of God has come upon you. By which he meant that in that moment of experiencing healing and restoration, they got to experience something of the life that God created us for and the way life should be when God is in charge. Jesus taught the kingdom through his ethics. He taught a value system that was not the value system of Rome or any other kingdom at that time. Actually, it turned those value systems on its head. Jesus taught and cast a vision for a kingdom where the value system was one that, up, that just lifted up those who were often downtrodden, where the last, the least, and the lost could find a place of home and acceptance, where they will be equally valued and welcomed. And Jesus didn't only preach that message with his words, he demonstrated it with his lifestyle, constantly showing love to the people who were often kept on the margins, a love that ultimately drove him to the cross. You see, the whole of Jesus' life was governed by seeking first the kingdom. Jesus really was the ultimate image bearer, the perfect example of what humanity was meant to be. People would look at him, hear his words, see the way he lived, see the way he treated others, and they would catch a glimpse of the king and just think, I want to be part of this kingdom. Don't you wish that could be said of you? I don't know what the first impressions are that people have when they come across me. I mean, I could guess. You no need to tell me. I'm sure it would all be good. But like, I, I, I would love it to be like that. I would love the first thing that people think when they encounter me to be, there's something different about this guy. A, a good different. <laughs> Maybe they already think that. I'd like it to be a good different. I'd like them to think there's something different about this guy. The value system that he seems to embody. The way he treats people. The things that he does. The things that he doesn't do. The tone that he adopts. I would love for people to look at my life and it just raise questions. Because they think, I want to know what gets this guy ticking. Because it's him. It's the creator. And the whole point of us being image bearers is that we should live seeking the kingdom. We should live knowing that we have a sense of mission. We were put here for a purpose, which is to enjoy life to the full and then expand that to others, preaching the message of the kingdom wherever we go. I think that's partly what Jesus meant when he told, when he told us to seek first the kingdom. It was to live with a sense of focus. Make that be the driving force of your life. I was recently rereading the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, who if you've not read their story, it's just a remarkable story. They're a, an incredible couple who really embodied what it is to seek first the kingdom. From the earliest days of their relationship and marriage, they went to Ecuador where they preached the gospel, the good news about Jesus, uh, to people who didn't know him and hadn't had an opportunity to hear about him. And their whole life is a story of just amazing reliance on God and trust in him. But in January 1956, Jim and four of his missionary friends were tragically speared to death by the tribe that they were trying to preach the good news of Jesus to. And rather than just giving up at that point or just being deterred by it, Elizabeth was so committed to the kingdom of God, she spent the next two years preaching to the very tribe of people who had murdered her husband. Many of them came to faith in Jesus. It opened up incredible doors for her to preach more and more about the life that is available through relationship with him, the forgiveness that is available through relationship with Jesus. And years later, in one of her books, she reflected on a particular phrase that had been a motto for her and Jim through all of their married life and ministry, and it was this. 
Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. I find that incredibly challenging. Wherever you are, be all there. And be there as an image bearer. Understand that wherever you are, you have been placed there by the King of Kings. So that people who come across you get a sense, I am coming under a different kingdom. And they want to know more about the King of that kingdom. Wherever you are, live with intentionality, seeking first the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I can sometimes hear quotes like that. And I just think, yeah, but your experience is so different from mine, so distant from mine. And sometimes it can be easy to hear these stories of missionaries in different lands and think, I don't know how that relates to me. Well, actually, here's the challenge, or it's a challenge for me at least. I don't go about most of my life thinking that my life is going to be in danger if I share the good news about Jesus. The tragedy is that I come off mission for way more trivial things than that. I get taken off mission for way more trivial things than threats to my life. Often it's just the desire to save face, the desire to have a good reputation, trying to avoid those awkward conversations or busyness or or complacency. Those things can take me off seeking first the kingdom. What would it look like to live as the image bearers we were created to be? Wherever we are, be all there, seeking the kingdom. Living in such a way that when people catch a glimpse of us, they catch a glimpse of our creator and they want to know more. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Be intentional about mission. Let me tell you a story from my life. And uh, this is one of those rare stories where I think I've got this right. (laughs) It doesn't happen often. Uh, But about five years ago, I decided it was time to learn to drive. And I am uh, thrilled to say that after 26 failed tests, I have finally... uh, That's really disconcerting how many of you just accepted that and thought that wasn't a joke. You were like, yes, you look like the kind of person who would be miserable at driving. No, I I passed. I passed. But um, (laughs) uh, I remember my first lesson five years ago. I got into the car. There was this guy called Lawrence. And he was a really lovely guy, really talkative. And he said to me, oh, what do you do for a living? Now, I'm a church pastor. And when I answer that question, the conversation tends to go one of two ways. Sometimes people go, oh, wow, that's not what I would have thought. Um, I never asked what they would have thought, but there we go. Uh, Sometimes people go, that's interesting, tell me more. 98% of the time, they suddenly find some reason to get out of the car or change the conversation or whatever it happens to be. And so I kind of tentatively said, oh, I'm a church pastor. And it was one of the former times. He went, oh, that's interesting. How do you get into a job like that? And what's your church? like and he asked me a number of questions and I thought this is unusually warm like there was there was quite a lot of openness from it and so we had that conversation just a short conversation then we got on with the lesson afterwards I I just kind of got back home and I was reflecting on it and I thought you know what I don't often get opportunities like that where people seem so warm so positive and so I decided to take it that that was actually an open door a great opportunity for a conversation Now, I am typically quite shy, quite introverted. I don't like starting conversations like this. And yet I knew, actually, that I was going to be in a car with this guy for two hours a week, every week. Uh, I mean, I was paying him to be in a car with me. He was literally a captive audience. (laughs) And for two hours a week, every Monday, I was going to be in this small, confined space with him. And I had a choice. I could be intentional about this moment and take this as an open door, or I I could just sort of dodge it a little bit and do what I often do, which is sort of just, you know, avoid the conversations a little bit and kind of go for an easier, comfortable route of conversation. I decided I need to seek first the kingdom. I need to take this as an opportunity. And so every Monday, I would have a conversation with this guy. I'd get in the car, I'd start our lesson, and he would ask me, how was your weekend? And of course, in those moments, we all know what the temptation is, right? To focus more on the Saturday than the Sunday, because it's more socially acceptable to talk about 
brunch and then Jesus. Like, so, so I feel that pull. He's like, how's your weekend? And I decided, no, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to talk more about Sunday and you lot than about brunch and flat whites and nice coffees. So, um, so I, I, the guy was like, how's your weekend? And I decided to talk about church. I said, yeah, yeah, it was great. We had a great time at church. And he knew that I preached, and so he would ask me, what did I preach on? And I'd get to recount my sermon to him. Or, um, or sometimes I was preaching the next week, and I'd get to try out my sermon to him and then get, <laughs> and get a sense of what worked and what didn't. And it was fascinating just hearing it through someone else's um, eyes. You don't hear through eyes. Through someone else's experience, perspective, whatever the body part's meant to be. And uh, so I get to talk to him uh, about this, and it opened up fantastic conversations. And he would ask loads of questions. He had loads, like millions of questions. Uh, My favorite and worst simultaneously was when we were navigating this horrendous roundabout in Croydon, like the scariest roundabout ever been on. And he chose that moment to ask me about the Trinity, which was (laughs) not... Not great. He also asked me a lot about prayer, which I don't think was because he was scared of my driving. That that might have been an aspect, I don't know, but um, I didn't always have answers to the questions. And when I didn't, I would just say, honestly, I I have to think about that. And then I'd go away and I'd have a week to think or talk to others or pray about it. And I'd intentionally pray about him. The next Monday, we would pick up the conversation again. And over that period of time, just the journey he went on was incredible. His experience just developed over the months that we were learning together. We talked loads about his questions. I invited him to Alpha, I invited him to church, but he lived nowhere near us, so I found a church that was near him that was similar in style so that I could recommend it. And um, he actually started going to a church with his mum. It was a very formal church, and he often didn't understand what was going on, and he didn't understand the sermons, so he would come on a Monday, and we'd compare notes over sermons, and he'd ask his questions, and uh, uh, he and his partner were going through a difficult time. They started to read the Bible together, asked for advice, what to read. His son was being bullied at school, asked for prayer. He didn't know how to pray, so we talked about how to pray, and it was just brilliant, the journey he went on. And I actually, I failed my test twice, and I still maintain that I shouldn't have done, but that God wasn't done with him yet, and so... (laughs) I took a hit for the kingdom. That's <laughs> oh well. Um, but it was just beautiful to be part of that journey. You know, and I, it made me think, how many opportunities do I miss? Because I don't seek first the kingdom. Now, of course, the glory goes to God. He's the one that changes lives. But the fact is that very often the way that he changes lives is through you and me, right? It's through image bearers who he chooses to put in the path of people who are wandering through life so that they catch a glimpse of us and they get to know the creator. What would it look like to live intentionally like that, to seek first the kingdom of God, to see wherever you are at as being a missional opportunity? What's the equivalent this week of two hours in a small metal car where you can intentionally say, I want to bring the presence of God living as an image bearer so that people get to know him and see a glimpse of him through me? Of course, the aim is that all of us, wherever we are, as, as the Elias put it, wherever we are, 24-7, we should live on mission. But let's just start somewhere. Where is it this week that God might be challenging you or opening a door for you to live as an image bearer, seeking first the kingdom of God? It may be completely different places for each of us. Maybe it's your workplace, the place where you study. Maybe it's a neighbor, that flatmate you struggle to get on with. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone who you've just never dared to have that conversation where you out yourself as a Christian to. And maybe the first step is simply when they say, how was your weekend? Don't major on the brunch, major on the Jesus a little bit. Just say, I went to church, see where that goes. Maybe it's intentionally opening up questions of faith or offering to pray for someone who's been going through hard times or is sick and you could pray for them to experience the kingdom through healing. 
What is it this week that God is giving you as an opportunity to live as an image bearer where you can say, I want to be intentional about seeking first the kingdom of God? Jesus calls us to prioritize mission, seek first the kingdom. But I think there's a second aspect to what he says in Matthew 6, 33 as well, which is quite different, but it is related. And the second theme is not mission, it's holiness. Because Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Now, that word righteousness is not a common word for us. We don't use it a great deal. Or if we do, we don't typically use it in a positive way. Sometimes we talk about people being self-righteous, and that's not a good thing. Like, we think of people being uh, prudish or arrogant or morally superior. And Jesus isn't asking us to do that. If you're prioritizing that in your life, that's on you. That's not what Jesus wants from you. When Jesus says to be righteous, to pursue righteousness, he means something quite different. And that word righteousness, actually, it's a kind of a multifaceted word that has a rich tapestry of meaning within scriptures. It means at least a number of things. There's a moral element to it. It is to do with the the value system that we have, the way that we live, according to the instructions that God has given us for how to live life to the full. There's also a justice element to it. Not only living a kind of nice private morality, but living in such a way as to, to, to raise up and release the oppressed, to bring about justice for others. There's also a relational aspect to it as well. In fact, in some senses, you could probably translate righteousness as right relatedness. It's to be in right relationship with our creator and with others. And these three strands don't pull in different directions. They're not contradictory. They all come together. Because when Jesus says to seek righteousness, he means to live in a morally pure way in order to bring about justice for others, living in right relationship with your creator and with others. And Jesus says we should seek that. But actually, he doesn't say just seek that. He says seek first the kingdom and that, the kingdom and righteousness. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that phrase for a moment. Seek first the kingdom and righteousness. It's actually quite a weird thing for Jesus to say, because that's not how we typically use the word first. Jesus says, seek first two things. That's not how we use the word first. If you went to work tomorrow and your boss said, I've got two really important jobs for you. Can you do this one and this one? You say, great. Which one should I do first? He says, that one and that one. (laughs) You'd think, you don't know what the meaning of the word first is, and I'm applying for a different job. Like, that's, that's not how we use the word first. Surely, Jesus means like first and second. That's not what he says. He says, seek first the kingdom and righteousness. The only way I think that can make sense is if they are actually one and the same thing. And that's what we find if we read later on in Scripture, Romans 14. Paul is talking to a church that is grappling with some difficult questions around what Christians can eat and not eat and uh, these sorts of things, ceremonial uncleanliness. and, And Paul says this, the kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is a matter of righteousness. Righteousness is a matter of the kingdom. To seek the kingdom is, in some sense, to seek righteousness, and seeking righteousness is, in some sense, to seek the kingdom. And I think when Jesus says, seek first, these two say two sides of the same coin, as it were, kingdom, mission, and, and righteousness, holiness, I think he's saying they are meant to be inseparable. Why? Because the message that we preach is not only a message we preach with words, but with our whole life. 
And Jesus wants the message that we preach, the message of the kingdom, not only to come out of our mouths, but to be demonstrated by everything about us. He wants our value system, our ethics to line up with our message. That's literally actually what the word integrity means. It means to have the different parts of your life so integrated that they, they communicate one message together. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and righteousness, he's saying, may the whole of your life scream the same message. There is a king who loves you. Come into relationship with him. Actually, if we preach a different message with our mouth and with our actions, then actually the whole message of the kingdom, it lacks credibility. The great philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, no fan of Christians, uh, he said this, I might believe in the redeemer if his followers looked more redeemed. Ouch. <laughs> I might believe in the Redeemer if his followers look more redeemed. I feel the, the challenge of that. He's saying, look, the, the, the way you live has the power to credit or discredit your message. And if you preach a message out here about a Redeemer, but you don't look like he's made a lot of difference to your life, I've got to question whether you really mean that message or not. You see, Jesus calls us not only to communicate a good message, to have answers to all the difficult questions about faith, but to communicate that message with our very being so that our ethics, our action, our, our, our value system, the way we treat other people matches up with the message that comes out of our mouth. We need to live with integrity so that everything about us points to the king of the kingdom. The author Brennan Manning puts it like this. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Ouch. Honestly, I find that unbelievable. You know, some of the big questions or struggles I have with faith, one of the reasons I find it awkward to talk to people about faith it's because there are just too many examples, tragic examples, of people who communicate a great message with their words and yet live completely the opposite in a way that ultimately discredits their message. I find it tragic that there are so many stories recently, way too many stories, of people in prominent positions who have a loud voice, who, who we respect within the Christian world, and they seem to just do amazing things and preach a great message, and then it comes out at some point maybe even years after they've gone, that they weren't really all they claim to be and that they have hurt many, many people in the wake. It is tragic when I hear those stories. It's tragic because of the people that get hurt and damaged in the process, the victims that have horrendous abuse foisted upon them by people living double lives. But also it's tragic because of what it does to the message of the kingdom. It's hard to really take seriously a message that sounds good out here, but then you don't live a life that matches up to it. I would, I would believe in the Redeemer, said Nietzsche, if his followers look more redeemed. I don't want my life to be the great single cause of someone who's close to me staying in atheism. I want to seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness. And that means that I need to live with integrity. We cannot expect the kingdom of God to come through us unless we are willing for the kingdom of God to come in us. We can't expect the kingdom of God to come through us and for people to respond to the message and bow the knee to Jesus and have their lives changed by him if we are unwilling for the kingdom of God to come within us and for us to be changed by knowing Jesus. You see, we need to prioritize both mission and holiness we need to bow the knee to Jesus. We need to pursue holiness, justice, right relatedness with our creator and with others. We need the value system by which we live 
the way we treat one another to be shaped by the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of self or London or this current cultural moment. So my question is this, are you pursuing holiness? Are you pursuing righteousness? Are you pursuing a way of living that, that, that brings out justice for others? Are you pursuing right, related, right relatedness with God and with others, with nothing impure standing between you? Jesus said we need to seek the kingdom and righteousness. If we want the kingdom to come through us as individuals and as a community, we need to be willing for the kingdom of God to come within us. To be clear, I am not saying that God requires you to be perfect. And once you get to some level of perfection, then and only then he can use you for his glory. That is not the case at all. Actually, God has an incredible track record of using broken people for incredible things. He's not looking for perfect people, but I do think he is looking for surrendered people. I do think he's looking for people who are honest enough to say, I don't have it all together, but Lord, you have my heart. And I am going to try and live like you like the image bearer I was created to be. And I will pursue your holiness and I will pursue your kingdom. I am living for you. I want to become more like you. And see, Jesus doesn't actually demand that we need to make ourselves righteous. I think all we need to do is surrender to him. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I think that is the righteousness that comes from him. You see, the good news at the heart of the Christian faith is not that if you try hard enough and get pure enough, then God might like you. Better still, he might even use you for his glory. No, that is not good news because none of us can do that. Jesus is the only person who has ever lived as a pure, perfect image bearer, seeking first the kingdom every step of the way, seeking first righteousness every step of the way. And his promise is that if you trust in him, you receive his righteousness. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 that the Christian life is essentially this. It's about us being found in him, that is Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. It's not about keeping rules so that I attain to some kind of standard of holiness. Rather, it's that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The good news at the heart of the Christian faith is that there is a good, loving king who has created you for glory. He's created you for a relationship with himself. He wants this world to be filled with his glory and one day he will return and make all things new. There will be no sickness, no sin, no suffering, no pain, no death, just complete righteousness, right relatedness between us and him, us and one another. And if you put your trust in him, his life, his death, and his resurrection, you can be clothed in Christ's righteousness so that when people look at us, Ultimately, they see the creator because they see the one we're clothed in. They see Jesus. We seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. That's how we get to live as image bearers. If you surrender to him, he will come and he will dwell within you by his Holy Spirit and empower you to live the life for which you were created. <clears throat> seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Maybe the band can come back up. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know everyone in this room. Uh, I don't know whether you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not. Uh, if you wouldn't, well done for being here. I hope you enjoy this. I'm sorry if this has been a bit more intense than usual. I hope you find this service to be a great place to grapple with some of your questions of faith. 
I would happily talk with you about your questions of faith. We don't have to be in a car for two hours to do that. I'll happily do that at the end of the service. Like, I hope you find this to be a great place to explore questions of faith. My encouragement to you is this. If this whole Jesus thing doesn't quite make sense to you, why not speak to a friend you've come with tonight and ask that friend, what is it about Jesus that you find compelling? Why is it that you believe his kingdom is worth giving up everything to be part of? And how has Jesus made a difference in your life? I hope that might be a fruitful conversation for you. But if you are already a follower of Jesus, then I just want to challenge you today. Are you seeking first the kingdom and righteousness? And it may well be that of those two aspects today, one stands out more than the other as something that God is challenging you about. Maybe it's mission. Maybe you know, if you're totally honest, that your default tendency, like so many of us, is just to dodge the slightly awkward conversations and not be upfront about your faith. And maybe you know, if you're honest, that God is prompting you and challenging you about some open doors he's given you where he wants you to start talking about him, start living in such a way as to provoke questions about him and his kingdom. And if you know that God is challenging you, particularly in terms of sharing your faith or praying for those who don't know Jesus, whatever it happens to be, then in a moment I'm going to give us a chance to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that. It's not something we have to do alone. In fact, it's not something we can do alone, but the Holy Spirit will equip us. Or maybe today you know it's actually the holiness, righteousness side of things. And maybe you know, if you're totally honest, there are things that are standing in the way of your relationship with God, your relationship with others, things that you know aren't right. And you know that the message you preach out here doesn't quite line up with the lifestyle you're living. In which case, my encouragement is bring those things to God. And again, we'll pray and ask the Holy Spirit to change you, to make you more like Jesus. And moments like this are really important. What we'll do in a moment is we will sing and we will use this song as a way of saying, God, I surrender to you. And my encouragement is that as we sing it, don't just go through the motions. We don't just sing it because we like having a song that we kind of get through to get to the prayer bit. This is prayer. It's just prayer set to music. Use this as a way of saying, I surrender to you. And I think moments of surrender are important for us as individuals. They're important on a daily basis. When you get out of bed tomorrow and you decide, first thing, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of righteousness today, Monday morning. But they're also important for us as a community as well. And if you read through scripture, I think you'll find that there are regular moments of breakthrough in mission that are preceded by a community dedicating themselves to righteousness. It's what we see with Moses, where he takes off his shoes, recognizing the holiness of this moment in the presence of God. And what happens next? God commissions him to go and lead the people out of slavery and towards the promised land. We see it in the story of Joshua, where God says, consecrate yourselves. That is, dedicate yourself to holiness and righteousness. Why? For tomorrow I will do wonders in your midst. Mission and holiness. It's what we see in Chronicles where God says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, I will forgive their wickedness and I'll heal their land. Holiness and mission. It's what we see in the book of Acts where the disciples sit there and they say, we can't take this message to the world. We don't have the strength to do it. And they cry out, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. And he fills them with the Holy Spirit and equips them for mission. So I want to give us a moment to do just that this afternoon. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you, just you can stand if you want or sit if you want, kneel if you want, Whatever posture you need to take to physically say, this is a moment between you and God where you want to surrender to him. I'll allow you just, just do whatever you need to do to engage with him. 
Peter will lead us in, in a song of surrender, and then I'll come and I'll pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come. Mm -hmm.